Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. So I don't generally start with the name of my sermon, but I think that'll help with just the thought process that we're going for today. This morning, the name of my sermon is uh, A Theology of Work and the Call of the Lord. And I get that. That's a lot. I deal with me. Um, I'm not like one for like creative, catchy, like one-liners. So what I'm just describing to you, everything I'm going to talk about. Um, And that's in the title. And so I, I was thinking about this, and this was actually born out of an assignment that we were given the, the superintendent over our denominational network sent like an email to everybody and has been talking. He actually wrote an entire book on the concept. And he's like, I would love it if, if annually uh, pastors in local assemblies would share about their call to ministry and, and invite other people to explore that call. And so I talked to Nate a month ago about this, and I was like, I think I would like to do it. Nate did it last year. I would like to do it this year. And so I've been pondering this and mulling this over for a month, and, and I kept coming to the same sort of result where I will talk about the call of the Lord, and I will talk about my personal call, but first I want to build a theology of work and where that comes from and how we understand that. And so that's why we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 2. I have just one more uh, disclaimer to get out of the way. Um, I think this conversation about calling or destiny, I have openly, actively spoken out against before. (laughs) Um, Because I I cut my teeth, so to speak, in in student ministry, for better or for worse. And it's like every conference you go to, every every, book that is written that's aimed at teenagers is like, you're, you're a, a, a precious tool in the Lord's hands, and it's all about like your destiny, and you're this, and your self-expression, and you, 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 you. And I was like, really, it's about him. And we spend so much time talking about you that like we, we lose sight of it actually being about Jesus. But that being said, it, it is kind of a little bit about you. I mean, you can't relate to God without yourself being there. You know what I mean? And, and God did make you. And, and, I, and I was thinking about it this morning, and I, I thought about this quote that I read uh, some time ago, and it's probably a person who I never thought I would quote. But uh, John Calvin said it this way, without understanding of self, there is no understanding of God. And it's not to assert that like you, like God is like you, but it's like if you don't understand where you're coming from, then all of the like relatable principles of God don't make any sense. And so we're going to start in that place. We're going to um, read from that place. Um, So let's start with Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 8. If you would read with me. Verse 8, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. There he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in... Uh, is also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it was divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and it flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and it flows around the whole land of Cush. 
The, land, the name of the third river is Tigris, and it flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, there's not a whole lot of setting the stage that I can do, because we're at the very, very beginning of the story. Um, and not just like the story of Israel, but the, the story, like this is all of history that we're, we're starting. And so what we didn't read this morning is God doing all the principal creative work to make everything, the heavens, the earth, all the animals, all the types of plants and ecosystems, the, the entire structure of the universe God created in the verses leading up to where we just read. And a part of this construction a part of this principal phase of all of history is the construction of this garden. So before sin, before death, before the fall, before the law, there was this garden. And I think we can, we can assume and understand that it was very beautiful, it's very fertile, there's trees there that are, that are good for food, but also that are just good to look at. And it's beautiful, but no doubt it's actually wild. And some of us think about that idea of, of untouched wilderness, and we feel like that somehow is more holy and more divine than uh, something that's been tainted by human influence. Like I think of after a snowstorm, you get up in the morning, and there's like that perfect blanket of snow that nothing has touched, and you're like, wow, this is so pristine and beautiful. But I don't think it's theologically progressive to say that that's not actually the more holy part that God did all of the heavy lifting of creation. He did all the principle creating, but intentionally left it unfinished. That's why when he, he forms this man, and he, he, he describes it as he forms it in his own image, and he puts them in the garden, he doesn't just put them there to look at the man. He puts them there to work, to work the land, to cultivate and protect the land that God created. And so we have this this thought process of Eden that it was absolutely perfect, but there is this idea that there is a progressing nature to the Garden of Eden, that there was work to be done. And I, it's, it's a personal conviction of mine. I try to quote J.R.R. Tolkien whenever I have the chance. At, at any opportunity I'm given, I will take that opportunity. And he actually had so many thoughts on this particular subject, the way that he would use metaphor to describe this is he described the Lord, the one true God of the, of the scripture. He would describe him as a great white light, brilliant and beautiful and strong. And all of his spirit endowed creations are like prisms. He said that the Lord, the light will come into the prism and refract into different hues that were within the light and showing the beauty of the Lord to the world. And he would describe this as God as the chief creator and that he has commissioned all of humankind to be sub-creators. That our job is to cultivate what he's made, to take his raw materials and work with them. And I think there's so much diversity within the body of Christ and we carry out this purpose in alignment with God's original task. Just like that first man, Adam, who he placed in the garden, he said, you are going to do this, this task of the Lord by working. And, and I think when we, we form our theology of work around this idea, it gives so much more dignity to any vocation that we may carry. I like the way the late uh, Dr. Timothy Keller uh, would describe this. He said it this way. 
Work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. And just by being a created person, there is dignity and, and purpose to your life. There's this, it's easy to fall into like pseudo nihilism, like there's no point. Why do we even try? What's the point of morality or consistency or, or objectivity? It's easy to fall into those sort of, I don't know, depressive hell holes. But like the reality of your created existence is that there is purpose for you. And as followers of Jesus, this takes on an even greater sense of dignity and purpose because Jesus didn't save us just to, to sit there and look pretty. Like, I saved you, so now just carry on. He saved us with a function. He saved us even within the Great Commission as he describes to the apostles. He describes it as, you're going to teach them to keep and obey the ways that I've taught you, that you're going to go and make disciples. I like the way Paul writes about this idea. If you uh, look at Ephesians 2 with me, I'm going to start in verse 8. It says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul, the author of Ephesians, shows us that we can become saved, that there's, there's a way that we can become saved. And it's not because you have some sort of intrinsic value or some skills that God lacks that you bring to the table. It's because of his kindness towards us that he forgives us and sets us in right relationship. But he goes on to explain God's motivation in all of this. If we keep going with verse 10, it says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So as new creations in Christ, we get to see this uh, original call to cultivate the garden, so to speak, reimagined as we fill the world with the glory of Jesus. Again, I like to look at uh, Paul's writings in another way. Um, if you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, uh, starting in verse 15, uh, Paul says this, And he, he being the Lord, died for all, so that they who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And I think that's, that's so tremendous. It's so beautiful because the all in there absolutely covers us. Like we're included in that Christ died for all. But there is an express purpose to his death, not just because he couldn't not do it, but he had a motivation that so those who live might no longer live for themselves, that, that Paul would later on describe as being a slave to sin, but they would be free to serve the Lord as they were designed to initially. Peter also wrote on this subject, and he wrote on this specifically addressing the Jewish diaspora, but um, later on. Uh, John would include this same passage in Revelation. He would say this in 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in whatever we do, we can proclaim how excellent and glorious the Lord is. Um, in his brilliant book, Garden City, on this very subject, John Mark Comer described the Christian vocation this way. Our job is to make the invisible God visible. 
to mirror and mimic what he is like to the world, we can glorify God by doing our work in such a way that we make the invisible God visible by what we do and how we do it. And I think that that gives so much dignity to the idea of discipleship. Even coming off of of months now of talking about spiritual disciplines, all of these things work towards a goal that we're not just learning trivia. You know, it's like uh, at the end of the month, we're going to talk about like, what does God say about fasting? And then whoever has the right answer is a better Christian than the people who have the wrong answer. That's not the point. What we're working towards is transformation that we are being formed into the image that Christ has desired for us. And it takes many different shapes because civilization at large, culture at large, is very diverse. And so the, the individual roles in these sort of things uh, have a lot of different expressions. But my mind goes to passages like Exodus 31. And there's this guy named uh, Bezalel that is described in his associate. And they describe him as a man who is full of the Spirit for the expressed purpose of building and constructing things. Isn't that amazing? In, in the context, he's, he ends up getting employed to build the tent of meeting, which is good. But like the idea is that he's not full of the Holy Spirit just for, for spiritual stuff. It's like, I'm full of the Holy Spirit, so when I go to uh, church, then, then spiritual stuff can happen. It's like, no, I'm actually full of the Holy Spirit so I can do the thing that God purposed me to do for the sake of his name. The Lord wants to fill you So you can glorify him and proclaim the good news as you walk out your calling. Now, I think of like the big C church, like the the global church. We actually have a history of glorious works of art. We have a history of symphonies and stories and novels and feats of architecture that were actually born out of a place and a desire to praise God and to, to bring people to awe of him. For some portion of world history, the church was actually on the innovative edge creatively and literally created the culture around them. I think of even uh, a direct biblical reference that the, the King David would invent instruments to keep praising God and beyond well into modern history. And, and why not? What better creative inspiration is there than the original creator? And beyond just merely creative endeavors, universities and hospitals and other institutions like that have been founded on the basis of Christ's compassion for people and and just this desire to train up people for the work of the kingdom. And the Lord has vast callings on the church, but it all uh, hinges on this singular purpose that is for the Lord's glory. If you look at Colossians 1, starting in verse 16, it says this, "'For by him,' him being the Lord,' All things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything." And so with that theological understanding that not only do all things come from the Lord, but all things are supposed to return to the Lord, so to speak, that, that anything that exists is meant to give God glory. And so that is, uh, it, it, it kind of creates a little bit of a test for each of us. So if, if the pattern of life you find yourself in or the thing that you give so much time to, you're like, I cannot imagine a situation where this would be glorifying to the Lord. 
I think that's probably a good sign that maybe you're not walking in what God has called you to do. And, and I, would, I, would, I would invite you to broaden your imagination because the Lord isn't just glorified by this sort of stuff, like the stuff that happens in this room or whatever, that I think there can be people who, like that's why I, I love to do like the, the shout outs with uh, like talking about like business people or people who are, are, are representing the Lord in our community and things like that because it's not just about the things that come from this direction, you know, if that makes sense. Like it's the things that are going on in our community at large, in our world at large, that are glorifying to the Lord and where most of our time is spent. But if you can track with me this morning, this really does come all the way down to the, the minute level of our local church. This does really come down to the level of um, your individual life. Where it is about Jesus, this does absolutely intersect with you. So when we talk about calling, when we talk about assignment from the Lord, it's easy to think uh, a couple different processes here. You may think, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, that ship sailed a long time ago. <laughs> I, I missed that, that, uh, that port, and I, I have, uh, it's, it's just not going to happen for me. That's cute, but it's not going to happen for me. You may think it's too late, or you may have no idea. You may be sitting there like, I'm still not completely clear on what you're talking about. And, and I want to encourage you. Um, I, I, I like to talk to people about the things that I'm uh, like writing and stuff like that. And so I was talking to one of my dear friends and a, and a mentor in my life, and I was like, how would you advise someone to either identify their calling or grow in whatever calling the Lord has given them? And he's like, just, you know, follow Jesus. And I was like, cool, helpful, awesome. That, that's going to preach great. This is, this is a personal pet peeve of mine. And let, me, let, me, let me let you under the hood for a moment. I love preaching. I love listening to preaching. I love writing sermons. I love preaching. But it's like a pet peeve of mine when preachers spend so much time talking about the thing they're talking about that they never actually talk about the thing they're talking about. I don't invite you to have that sort of critical comb to comb through every teaching that comes past you, but like I can't not hear that. Where I can't not hear that in my own teaching. Like I have spent so much time setting this up that I've never actually gotten to what to do with what I'm saying. Like, and that is a personal pet peeve. And if I'm ever in that place with you, you don't call me out while I'm speaking because that'll really throw me off. But you can talk to me later. <laughs> I'll cry about it, but I'll be stronger afterwards. Um, and so this idea. Um, in, in essence, is really positive. The idea that just throw yourself into following Jesus, because I promise you that if you begin to pray, if you begin to read the scriptures with, with a desire to encounter the Lord, if you invest in community in the local church, you're not going to be left aside by the Lord. It just doesn't happen like that. And, and, I, and I have that testimony in my own life. I have the, the counter testimony in other people's lives where it's like if you want God to knock you down and drag you into his will, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed. People are like, oh, I just need that Paul. Of, like, I think the Lord is telling me this, but I just need that Paul on the road to Damascus encounter where he blinds me and then I decide. He was a terrorist, you guys. He was actively trying to arrest and kill Christians. You don't want that call. You don't want God to strike you blind on the road while you're zealously terrorizing people. Don't go there. But I have a prophetic word for you that is true in every season. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're doing that, 
you're in God's will. Whether you're working the grocery store, whether you're selling real estate, whether you're an accountant, whatever you're doing, if you're doing that, it's the Lord's will. And I promise you, if he's guiding you somewhere else, he won't let you just like, like, like throw your life away on something that he doesn't desire for you. So when I think about this, and when I think about getting to the point, um, <laughs> I, I, I felt like the Lord was drawing me to Ephesians 4. We hopped around quite a bit, but if you want to turn there with me, I would love for you to be able to look at this. Um, I'm a big fan of putting the words on the screen. I'm a big fan of that sort of thing, but I also believe it's, it's very positive to have it in your, in your hands as well. Don't ever just take my word for it, but I want you to be able to see it with your own eyes. The thing with this microphone is if you're going to drink, you have to like be careful not to slurp or it's going to be really obnoxious. So I have to like just let it fall into my mouth. Let's start with verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, with patience showing tolerance uh, for one another in love. Excuse me. <coughs> Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And verse 7 says this, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. So he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. This is concerning the Lord Jesus. Verse 11 says this, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is, the, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of the individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That was 16 Bible verses. Take a deep breath. We're going to be okay. Prior to this passage, the, Paul, the author, um, is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he begins talking about the gracious and glorious works that Jesus has accomplished. So when he starts with that initial word, therefore, it's calling to mind all the amazing things that Jesus has done. Now, Paul opens with his thesis for this section saying, the point is, the point of how you respond to Jesus is you walk in a way that is worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And, and you can think about the word walk like live. Everything you do, that it would represent a, a appropriate, worthy response to the things that Jesus has done. And I think it's interesting because 
Paul goes on to describe the grace given to each of us. He uses this metaphor of the body and its diversities and its different parts. But what he, he begins with, what he's primarily concerned with, is the way we carry this out is going to directly be affected by the way we deal with one another. That in, within the context of community, and not trying to like rhyme or, or alliterate or anything, unity, <laughs> within those, uh, those aspects, there is confirmation and, and potency in your calling. Um, rather than explaining what it means to receive grace apportioned to Christ's gift, he says, make sure that you preserve the bond of peace. And this reminds me of, of Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. In John 13, he says this, uh, in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's a heavy commandment. And we generally apply this to, like, loving lost people. Um, but Jesus brings it all back very locally into verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So specifically what he's talking about here is like you need to love one another, not just the best you can. You need to love each other like Jesus loves you. Um, and this is the way that people will be able to understand that you represent me. And, and I think that's very powerful, and, and I think it's, it's directly in line with what Paul is talking about here. And so concerning the grace that Christ has given to each of us, I like uh, William W. Klein, uh, how he deals with this passage in his commentary. He says this. I think, I think those, all those are on the screen. Sweet. Um, unity does not mean uniformity. That the church consists of a cadre of clones. Cadre of clones is a great band name if you're looking for one. Um, God has built diversity into the body by variously gifting all of its people to serve in different capacities to promote growth and maturity. So as we scroll down through here, we see in verse 16, Paul uses one of his favorite metaphors that is describing the church, the kingdom of God, as a body, as a human body. And so we throw phrases like that around pretty often, but the, the literal representation of it is, is actually very striking because the, the body consists of so many different things. Like, um, we can think of our, our main, like, sort of anatomical components of arms and legs and your torso, whatever. But, like, even within all of those things, there's so many other things. But they all do different things for the same purpose. That my fingers aren't for a different purpose then my entire body exists for. If that, if that makes sense, I'm not going to keep using those examples because eventually, like, it's just exhaustive. But, like, the idea is um, that uh, we are, are like that as, as the church, not only our local expression of the church, but e even your individual life is like that, that you may not be uh, like the people I talked about before who are founding hospitals and universities and, and seminaries and all these sort of things or doing great works of justice or whatever, but even the obscure parts perform such an important, important function. Like, not many of us deal with our, like, red and white blood cells on a regular basis. Like, I don't know the last time I thought about red or white blood cells, but they are working overtime, baby. They're doing stuff all the time to keep me healthy and alive. And so there are parts that may not be as visible as others, but are not any less honorable than others. And they're all for the same purpose, that is for the growth and the maturity of the body. 
and, and further for the glory of the Lord. So I ask this question to you, where do you fit in? Um, and so take a moment to think about this, because the question is, is, is the kind of core question of, of like sentient existence. Why were you created? Because I just described to you pretty well why you were created. But it has to go somewhere. You know, it has to get legs, so to speak. Because I, I can tell you, you exist for the glory of God. You exist to proclaim Christ's excellencies to the world. But it has to get somewhere with that. That has to go somewhere. Because if you just think, like, if you just think about that all the time, it doesn't really propel you into specific action. And I think a warning here, I, I kind of started in this place, but uh, I think the point of this thought process is not about like self-indulgence or self-centeredness. Because the scripture is really clear that our lives are about him. But that is to say we serve a Lord who is incomparably good. And the plan that he has for you is way better than anything that you could come up with yourself. So even if you're today like, I don't know what he's talking about, but I am crushing it. And I'm doing really well. Like, if that's you today, um, bless you. I think that's awesome. But, um, but the idea is to say that the Lord's plan is better. I think with very little qualification in myself, I can say that with such confidence, you know, that the Lord's plan is better because he's the one who designed it all, you know? Like, uh, I had an electrical issue in my house. Worst case scenario, my rice cooker was broken or best case scenario, my rice cooker was broken. Worst case scenario, I have to rewire my kitchen. And guys, I've come to this point in my masculinity where I'm not afraid to call somebody else to do it. I, <laughs> Shelby's like, what do I do? And I was like, call Darwin. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I have nothing to offer. It's like, if you flip the breakers, that is the extent of my ability. And so uh, I was even describing it before Stephen eventually came and, and fixed it. It was fine. It was a, it was a silly thing. Um, there were more breakers in another spot. I didn't know that, so <laughs> now I do. Um, but I was, I was describing to Shelby, and I was like, there was a time in my life where I was really embarrassed to call for help in these sort of situations, because what if it's something dumb? What if it's something I could have fixed, but I'm just too dumb? <laughs> and, and now it's like, I would gladly be like, I'm dumb, I need help. <laughs> so at least I can cook rice another day. This is all in contributing to our spiritual formation. And, and we, we use the, the wording over the last several weeks, over the last several months, about spiritual disciplines. And these disciplines are, are about more than just like good practices or, or good methods, but it is about what historically we've called spiritual formation. It's, it's transforming us into the image. I like it, it kind of invokes this, this ancient picture that the prophet Isaiah would use that he described his relationship, our relationship with the Lord as clay in the hands of a potter. And sometimes we think about like my relationship is like God is like my really rich benefactor who's kind of like just supporting the things that I decide to do. Um, and it's more so that like, no, he created the raw materials and now under his leadership, he's shaping me into what I'm supposed to be. And so this calling thing is not a self-centered thing. It is something that I think the Lord delights in doing. So we've gotten to this point of conversation and maybe you're th sitting there thinking like, dude, I got it. I know exactly what God created me to do. And for that, like, let's testify. Let's, let's praise God that you are doing it. You're, you're there. And maybe you're like, I, I actually, 
I actually resonate with what you're saying quite a bit, and I know what God created me to do. I'm not doing it, <laughs> but I have the answer. I, I had a, a person who was close to me who was like, yeah, I think God made me to be uh, a pastor in a church. And I was like, man, that's awesome, this young guy. And I was like, so what are you going to do? He's like, well, I really want to be a cop. <laughs> and I was like, okay, where are we going with this? And he's like, well, I think God told me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I was like, well, all right. <laughs> I guess I can't really argue with you then because if you, I don't, I don't know what to say, you know, like at, at this point. So maybe you're in that place. Maybe you're like, I, I, I remember the Lord kind of pointing this out and it, and it bugs me pretty regularly. <laughs> um, I want to appeal to you as well. And there's still probably more of us and this is completely fine. I talked to... Uh, there was a lady who was serving on the worship team at the women's conference, and she is like 18 years old. And I was like, so you just graduated high school? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, congratulations. What are you going to do? And she's like, oh, I hate that question. <laughs> she's like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. She's like, I could go to school. I could not go to school. I could, I don't know. I, don't know. I have no idea. And I was like, I mean, at 18, it's going to be, you're going to be fine. It'll, it'll work out. Not to say if it's later than 18 <laughs> that you're in trouble or something, but... I don't think it's too late. Um, I think uh, a tool for discerning the call, um, one tool among probably a litany of tools, is, is actually uh, found in that sense of community. It's found in that sense of, of uh, the local church. I heard a, an author say that, and I just really pondered about that. He's like, sometimes your calling, your seat, your place is actually in the mouth of your brother. It's actually in this, the context of your community. And that kind of bucks against like our very individual mindset, you know, where it's like, well, what about my super special, like perfectly designed destiny? It's like, it's not to, to not consider you special or something, but the idea is that maybe you see a need that is left unchecked. Maybe you see a gap, whether it's in this church, whether it's in our, our town, our community, it's in the world at large. You see a gap, and it bugs you. And you're like, why, isn't, why are more people talking about that? You know, it's like, I wish they would bring up this on Sunday mornings. We are not really in the process, like, we're not really in the practice of taking suggestions. <laughs> but um, maybe that present need is the Lord, like, this is worth exploring, because maybe that is the Lord actually calling you to something. Maybe that is the Lord saying, like, like, I, I've set your eyes on this. I've let, let you see this so that way you could get upset enough to do something about it. And maybe you're, you, okay, this is, this is just, uh, maybe I'm talking to one person, and that's totally fine. Maybe you're like, okay, I see the need. I am not the person to fill that need. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the skills. Nobody really does. Honestly. There are people who have natural tendencies and, and capacities, but that can only take you so far. So don't let like, well, I'm just not there today, disqualify you, because none of us are qualified. Who can bear the excellencies and the glory of Christ to the world? No one is worthy of that calling, but yet the Lord has commissioned all of us to do it. Let's look again at Ephesians 4, if you still have that open. I want to look at verse 11. 
He gave some as prophets, some, oh, I'm sorry, I totally mixed up the words. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teaching. And um, I love when there's a four in the scripture. Verse 12 starts with four, because four, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, this occurs a couple different places in the New Testament, the same sort of list, the same sort of heart. Um, and, and historically, uh, there has been people who call this the five-fold ministry. Has anybody ever heard that before? You can raise your hand so I can visibly see it. Cool. Um, I just want to put a couple notes on that. It's probably more likely a list of four. The, the Greek grammar is widely considered that pastor-teacher or one thing. Even if you read it in English, it reads differently, like the list um, reads differently when it comes to pastor and teacher because they're like some as, some as, some as, and pastor and teacher. So a lot of people consider that that's actually one thing. Just a clarification. I don't know. Not necessarily changes everything. but um, And I believe, and, I, and I'm actually pretty convicted about this in this stage of my life, that we, it's not necessarily helpful to consider this as a list of offices that are occupied by individuals, but these are a list of gifts that have been given to the church. And so I, I, why I think that's an important clarification is because I don't want anybody here to be like, well, I am prophetic, but I don't know beans about the Bible because I'm not a teacher. I'm a prophet. So I don't need to understand the scripture because I'm, I'm prophetic. I, I'm evangelistic, but I don't really care about people. I just have a gift of evangelism, but I'm not going to pastor people. You know, it's like to some extent and capacity with, with alignment to your own wiring, we all need all of these things. You know, and, and so I think observing them as like offices that are like uniquely occupied gives the wrong sort of emphasis because really the mechanism that's being modified here is in verse 12 where he says the reason that God gave these gifts to the church is so that way the church can do the work of the ministry. That the reason that, that people were, were gifted to be teachers and pastors and evangelists is so that way they could prepare and train and equip and give the tools to everyone else to do what God has called them to do. And so uh, in light of this, we're, we're kind of confronted with the other side. If these gifts do exist to help the church be the church, then there are, it's reasonable to consider that people are actually called to these things specifically. Now, uh, Historically, uh, this has been referred to as a vocational call to ministry as opposed to the general call that everybody is purposed for the glory of God, the gospel, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's this specific call that men and women receive to help train others to walk in their callings as well. Now, the New Testament is littered with these themes and callings. Um, I think one of the best examples is 1 Timothy. Not only is 1 Timothy and, and consequently 2 Timothy um, addressed to an appointed pastor of a church that uh, was previously planted by someone else, and now there's a leader that has been, been appointed to give leadership to that church. But it also teaches a great deal about like deacons and overseers and these people who are set aside to serve the body of Christ. So, um, And we also see several references to missionaries being commissioned by the church to go preach the gospel, plant more churches where Christ has not yet been named. And all the, while, all the while, what this creates is this sort of branching out effect or this, this ripple effect, if you will, where people are carrying the name of Jesus, the gospel of God, to the ends of the earth. 
Now, Paul distinguishes this assignment, this vocational call, if you will, as a legitimate job. Like, this isn't something like, uh, especially in the ancient world, to be a cleric, to be a person who serves in, in the clergy, was not like a, a foreign thing. Now, I'm not uh, adverse to the idea that this is kind of a foreign thing now. Like, I, I think we have lots of reasons that it's like, I don't know, I think you should just have a, a real job, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I get that. But um, 1 Corinthians 9 is this, this intense passage where Paul uses these metaphors like if somebody is, is, is farming, don't you think they should be able to eat from the things that they grow, you know? And so he, he sets it as the general example, like those who, who proclaim the gospel should make their living from the gospel. And he actually considers himself and his associate Barnabas the exception that he's like, I, I should be able to get paid for doing what I'm doing with you, but I don't want to cause a hindrance to the gospel, so I would do it for free. And so I think there's, there's something to this in, in building this understanding and this theology, but I think where we really get uh, sort of upset about this sort of concept is that um, uh, it, it has been sort of upended, and, and let me expand on that. Uh, I wanted to begin this way, and, and let me tell you with, with honest, like, I, I love this sort of stuff. I love writing teachings and stuff like this. I'm not always, like, the biggest fan of, like, topical teaching. I like to just take a, a passage of the Bible and just teach through it, but I do want to address this topic. But I wanted to begin with the theology of work, that we were all made for work and that purpose to glorify the Lord, because I don't want it to sound like a call to vocational ministry is somehow more elite or special than uh, your call to uh, whatever God may call you to. Like, I think of my wife, who's not in the room, but I'm going to talk about her. Um, she is, I think, an exemplary admin assistant at a construction company. Um, I think she does a great job at what she does, but I can say with confidence that her calling is to be a mom. And maybe that's not what makes ends meet or pays the bills, but, like, her calling is to, to mother our children. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying that's every woman's calling, but that is, I think, where, where Shelby shines the light of Christ in such a profound way uh, in keeping our home and, and mothering our children. So it's not to say, like, you need to quit your job and change your career today, but the idea is that God has something for you that is uh, the life-giving purpose. Now, um, I think the thing that really makes this, uh, this idea of talking about the call of the Lord, specifically the vocational call to ministry, I think what makes it kind of sticky is uh, like jerk pastors or like um, chauvinists and things like that. I'm not talking, Nate's back there like, what are you talking about? Like, not, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have become like exorbitantly wealthy from taking advantage of, of poor people by preaching the gospel. Um, there are people that have been elevated to a place of celebrity um, and, and use that celebrity to manipulate other people. And, and I'm not trying to pretend like that doesn't exist or anything like that. But if, if, if we've made space for that, we've gotten this idea wrong. Look at what Jesus describes is the example of those in the kingdom of God. He says this in Matthew 20, uh, starting in verse 25, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and they are great men and their great men exercise authority over them. Verse 26, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 
Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this vocational call of ministry is a call to serve, to serve the church, to serve God's people. And, and the ideal effect is that it creates other people who serve, you know, and that we're serving one another, we're submitting to one another. But I'm aware that that's gotten twisted where the church becomes a platform for gifted individuals. And so rather than the, the leaders and those who are called equipping the church to do the work of the ministry, it ends up being like, well, our pastor can write books and our worship team can cut CDs. And now it's a platform for them to do the work of the ministry. And we just kind of underwrite it. That's what I would describe as kind of backwards. Um, and, and I'm not trying to like discredit anybody who's written books. I just quoted a bunch of people who wrote books. You know, like, <laughs> and so it's like that is a gift to the church to enable them to do it. But we're not creating platforms so like Nate and I can become famous. We're, we're trying to create an, uh, a, a training ground so that we, we can all become functioning disciples in our community. So I want to close today with just a story of my own personal call to ministry. When I was a teenager, when I was 15, I was witnessed to by a peer, and I encountered the grace and the saving knowledge of Jesus, and it changed my life. So I was experiencing uh, the full plight of pubescent hormones that were raging, mixed with a um, dysfunctional and sometimes violent home life. Uh, this produced in me a sense of hopelessness, and, uh, which generally manifested itself into self-hatred. And it sounds funny to say this about a 15-year-old, so she'll track with me. But I can surely tell you that when my depressive and sometimes suicidal little heart encountered the outstretched arms of Jesus, who could have crushed me because of my sin against him, but instead forgave me, it, it felt like the difference between life and death. I can remember the night so clearly I was sitting on my overstuffed futon mattress, and I cried out to a God who I didn't know, and I just begged him to do something. And without any prior knowledge of, of the presence of God, I felt it. Like, I, I tell this to you as a person who, who aims to be very, very balanced and very scriptural. I don't like woo-woo, goofy spirituality stuff. Like, I want to be biblical. It's like Jesus sat on my bed, you guys. He put his hand on mine, and he told me that he wanted me. And from that moment, any sort of skepticism, and I was a very skeptical person, any sort of cynicism or reservation was thrown out the window. Because this is more real than anything that I had experienced before. Anything that, I, and I'd only experienced real things before, like your parents and school, and I'd only experienced those things. And so I was like, this is more real than even the real things that I've experienced. So I, the next day I go to school, and I tell all my classmates, guys, I'm religious now. And somebody gave me a little faux leather, orange uh, New Testament and Psalms that the Gideons pass out. And they're like, read the book of John. It's in 0.5 font. Just try to, try to get in the word, really dig deep. <laughs> and I started reading, understanding nothing. I, I still wrestle with the idea. John is my favorite book of the Bible. And I still wrestle with the idea that that's where we tell people to start. Like, it starts with very cosmic symbolic language and it's like what am I supposed to do with this I say start with Luke he's like I'm going to tell you this in order so that way you can understand the things you believe why don't we start there I don't understand I like John I, I love John not the point 
Um, so I started reading the Bible, and, and a, a couple weeks went by, and, and this kid in my grade, he sheepishly invited me to youth group. And he assured me, like, we barely talk about Jesus. It's mostly hanging out, you know, like, just, like I, I would like somebody to just be my friend and go there. And thankfully, he, like, drastically underplayed how much they talked about Jesus. And so I went, and uh, a couple sessions in, I was hooked, and I approached that friend's dad. It's like, man, can you take me to church on Sunday also? And I'd only ever been to church probably two or three times before, and it was always Catholic church. Being Latino in Pueblo, you're generally Catholic. Um, but my parents were the lightest version of Catholic, so we only went when somebody died. And um, it's not even like Christmas and Easter stuff. It's just death. And so we, uh, I went to this church, and they were a mobile church, and they set up inside an elementary school. And I walk into the gym, and there's a band playing. And it's like bass and electric guitars and drums, and they're singing these beautiful songs that were composed for this exact purpose, to, to use in the local church for praise. And I was blown away. There were guys in this band who were like, from my high school, and they were older, and they were cool, and they had cars and girlfriends, and they were in a, a hardcore band, and they'd play shows in town, and I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and people like to, to like, like piddle on church, like, oh man, church culture is so lame, Christian music is so lame. I was not there, you guys. I was like, this is the best. And I was like, I want to be on the setup team. I want to be on the communion team. I want to be on all the teams. I volunteered for the worship team. Because I owned a guitar, I was given it for Christmas, didn't know how to play. And I was like, how hard could it be? So I show up to rehearsal, and I'm looking at the guitar player's hands, and I'm looking at my hands, and I'm looking at his hands, and I'm looking at my hands. Three weeks of that, and I was on the worship team, baby. It's that easy. <laughs> I successfully duped them into thinking that I knew how to play the guitar. And I'm duping you to this day. <laughs> Um, by this time, I was voraciously reading the Bible, understanding next to none of it, and I was uh, going to the church anytime there was anything going on, and all of these, these little details of, of putting on uh, a gathering for, for God's people were so endearing to me. And our church at that time was, was pretty over. They had been mobile for like three years where they didn't have their own physical location, so they had to set up everything every Sunday. And I thought it was awesome. I loved it. I loved running the, the snake for the cables. I loved setting up the projector screen and plugging in all the instruments. And I loved setting up chairs and trying to get the lines straight. I still try to get the lines straight in, in the church today. And, um, and I, was, I was talking through this with the, the pastor of that church and, and the, his uh, deacons and overseers. And I was just describing, like, man, this, this experience, that I, like, I'm encountering the Holy Spirit in this functionally cessationist church, not even knowing who the Holy Spirit is. And, and I'm, I'm having the best time. Every sermon's leaving me in tears, and I'm thrilled, and, and, I, and I think about them over and over again. And I described this to the pastor, and he's like, man, I think you might have a call to ministry. And I was like, yeah. Because, like, <laughs> I shared my testimony at the Jesus Cafe a couple months ago. And, and, and Paul, or Paul, Stan, asked me some <laughs> insightful, I've quoted Paul so many times now. Um, Stan asked me an insightful question. He's like, when did you feel like you were called? And I was like, I don't know if I was ever like called, like Paul called. I think I volunteered 
very aggressively. Like, please, God, please. I don't want to, like, I don't want to be like a construction foreman like my dad. I don't want to do flooring. I want to do this. Please, God, please let me do this. And so probably at some point, like I had dreams and, and things happened and, and I had different sort of experiences with the Lord. But I think the Lord had given me that vocational call just in, I loved getting there hours before everyone else and setting up chairs. Guys, I still get here hours before everyone else. And that was 15 years ago, 13 years ago, something like that. And, and it's like, even this week, uh, a lady was doing permanent jewelry. It's not as scary as it sounds. It's really pretty practical. I was like, what are we doing? What are we, permanent jewelry? That sounds so scary. It's not scary. It's, it's totally chill. Um, she was, she was uh, asking me if I hated living in the parsonage because it's like I never got to go home from work. And I was like, no. <laughs> like, I really like it. You know, it's, it's super easy. And, and it enables us to do the work that we get to do. And so I took this, this idea that, like, the Lord was, was calling me to himself. The Lord was calling me to this ministry. And whatever I had to do, I was ready to do it. And, and full disclosure, for, for many years, I thought this was going to, like I quietly said this to myself, I thought this was going to manifest itself in me being in a metal band and touring the world and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Like my notebooks were full of drawings of guitars and potential tattoo ideas. And, and that's, that, that's where most of my mindset went to is like, this is obviously, Lord, this is what you called me to. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't. But... Um, I've, I talk about all this love stuff. Like, I loved it. I love being there. I still love it. I still love being there. And realistically, that's not to say that I didn't doubt that the Lord had called me. I have doubted so many times. I even had to have a big kid conversation with one of my best friends and a mentor in my life who, who shared the similarity that we both gave all the strength of our 20s to working in ministry and have made little to no money and have no equity or credit or anything and we had to ask each other, did we waste our time? And both of us were, were trying to be like the, the encouraging one. To be like, no, you didn't. I think I might. But you didn't. You're, you're great. God's doing great things through you. And we both like thought about like all the people that we had witnessed to who were like, like on drugs now, like not following Jesus anymore. And, and, and we got to the end of the conversation with an enthusiastic, no, we didn't waste our time. Because it's not about any other metric than Jesus. You know, it's like, obviously, I want to care for people to be saved. I want to care for people to grow in the Lord. I want to care for those things. But I'm after Jesus. My purpose is, is Jesus. It's for him. And if I'm, if I'm there, I didn't waste my time. And, and with that sort of doubting and, <laughs> and uh, struggling thing, I've changed ministry careers several times. And I know I look really young with my graying hair, but I've changed ministry careers several times in the short time that I've been full-time. And I've been full-time now. I'm, I'm full-time now, but I'm not getting paid full-time. Like, this is technically a part-time job, but I'm doing it like a full-time job. It's a whole other thing. Um, but I tried, like, missions and music and, and, and art and, and parachurch ministries, and I've, I've wrestled with a whole bunch of stuff. I did students and, and all that sort of stuff, and... Um, over the last few years, Shelby and I have had some, some very uh, clarifying conversations where we're seeking the Lord and just asking him to clarify, like, I know somewhat of what I'm supposed to do. Just, I would love to know a little bit more. And I actually had uh, a mentor in my life, different guy than the, the other guy. He just said it to me really frankly. He's like, you're a teacher. You should do that. And I was like, well, there you go. 
let's do it. And so um, that's really what I needed to hear from the Lord. And, uh, and I know now, if I go from this place and I work in a coffee shop again, or if I uh, get some sort of certificate to work in some other field, it doesn't really matter because what I'm going to be doing, what my, my occupation is going to be, is to teach people the scripture and help them grow in their discipleship to Jesus. It doesn't matter where the money for my bills are coming from. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I was created to do. So I ask you, again, where do you fit in? Our staff and our leaders have this sneaking suspicion in this sense that there could be potentially several people here that feel like what you're saying sounds like me. What you're saying, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm a pretty obsessive person, so if it doesn't sound, that's not to say that you're not called to the ministry if, you don't, if you're not obsessed with setting up chairs like I am. Um, uh, there may be something nagging you. There may be something inside of you. Uh, and I just want to assure you, it's not too late. It's not too off. You're not far enough off track that you can't correct to what the Lord has planned for you. And if that is you, I want to offer you, like I have uh, a book literally written on this subject that was written by the superintendent of our network. I would love to get that in your hands. I would love to read that with you. Um, whether you're, you're positive or not, um, I would love to offer you any mentorship and resources that we can to dignify and embrace this call to the Lord. And if that's not you, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, you know, like that was the assignment was to talk about this specific thing, but I talked, spent a whole bunch of time talking about just everybody else, like people who are just called to the Lord and are, are discovering and walking in that calling themselves. Um, if that's you, let's talk about it. Let's figure out this calling together. Maybe you're like, you know what? I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, but I would love to be a better representation of Jesus. I want to let you in on a trade secret. That's kind of why the church exists. That's why teaching exists from pulpits. That's why classes and life groups exist. So that way we can better grow in our discipleship to Jesus so that we can re represent him everywhere else. Because the, the secret to vocation is most of your time is spent there, right? Like, if most of your time is spent here, that's different. But I'm, I'm willing to bet, and I'm looking around the room, that's not the case. <laughs> most of our time is spent in our workplaces. Most of our time is spent with our families. Most of our time is spent in what is our vocation. And that's not any less part of God's plan than anything else. So let's be disciples there. And don't be afraid if you're like, I have no idea how to do that. Let's work on it together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.